This is the Sandman Podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're discussing the Sandman, Chapter 7, The Doll's House. Hello, Rosie. Come in, my butterfly. You are at a crossroads, Rose Walker. How do you know my name? Who are you? Names, names, names. Each name is but a single aspect of the whole. Be satisfied with the trinity you have, love. You wouldn't want to meet us as the kindly ones. We can only caution you, sister. We can't protect you. Protect me from... From life, my posy. And the things that hover beyond life. Thrashing their selves against it. Beware dreams. And houses. What do you mean? You've asked the wrong question. Had you asked the right one, we could have warned you. Against the Corinthian. Told you about Jet. And about Morpheus. Welcome back, fellow dreamers. This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're discussing the Sandman Chapter Seven, The Doll's House. No, not the Joss Whedon show that ran for like two or three seasons that was really good, but like critically panned and everyone hated it. <laughs> no, 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 on that one. No, no, Sandman Chapter Seven, exclusively on Netflix. Yes, yes, that good one. I am one of your hosts, Chris. I am one of your hosts, Derek. I also like The Doll House. Hello there, fellow dreamers. I am the third and final host, John. I mm-hmm. also really enjoyed Joss Whedon's The Dollhouse. Must yeah. good, isn't it? Yeah. It was yeah. a good show. And it came in some places that you just didn't yeah. think it would. Yeah. Especially in season two. Yeah. It was one did, of those they, like, ah. Oh. They did that ending to try and get a third season where they uh, set it five years in the future. And it was like, this is amazing. I hope they get the show uh, so they can get to that point. Oh, no, it's been cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that happens a lot. It's like, oh, no, this is amazing. I really, uh, yeah. It's been cancelled. Oh, well. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't happen to the Sandman. We are just around that point where uh, apparently Netflix are, are making their decision as to whether we're going to get a season two of Sandman. Do you know why it's so complicated to make this decision? Because it is one of the most expensive shows that Warner Brothers have made. And uh, it, they really have to hit very high numbers, even though it's been number one or number two for the entire month in most countries around, around the world for Netflix. Um, there are apparently uh, lots of questions over whether they're going to be able to afford a second season of The Sandman. So uh, it'll be interesting. Hopefully we'll get an answer before we finish our coverage of The Sandman. Hopefully so. Like, to be fair, they've cancelled a lot of other shows. Like, <laughs> yeah. making way for it's Like, we need that 5 million from exactly. here. This 10 million from here. <laughs> and this other 50 million from here. And that's one episode. Yeah. Uh, no, hopefully we will find out. But we're not here to talk about the future. Uh-huh. Obviously, potential season two. We're here to talk about chapter seven. The Doll's House. Because this was one I was waiting for. Mm. This Because this is... The, this begins to set up what I think is one of the more interesting arcs of, um, the, the, the kind of first volume, first two volumes of the Sandman, yeah. um, where we do get the discussion of a, a convention, if you will, uh-huh. a, a, a gathering, a soiree of like-minded people, mm-hmm. um, as well as a very interesting dormicile. Um, being all smashed together. And I was like, I would, I was interested to see how this was going to play out. Mm-hmm. So we can discuss 
as we get into it, into our kind of wrap up, our review, our discussion, if you will, of this episode. Mm-hmm. But before we get any further, should we jump into who, what, where, and how? Who gave us what, Derek, on this episode? Absolutely, yeah. The executive producer of the show again are Alan Heinberg, Neil Gaiman, and David S. Goyer. Um, this episode was written written by Heather Belson. Uh, she's written four episodes of The Walking Dead and also two episodes of Neil Gaiman's uh, American Gods series as well, uh, which is a pretty good series. Um, unfortunately, it kind of went on a little bit too long. They kind of went round in circles a little bit on uh, American Gods and then ended off not finishing it. And it, it always kind of annoys a lot of fans because if they just kept to the story of the book they would have told the entire narrative in the four seasons they had and unfortunately it never got finished so we all have still got the books to read at least but uh but it was a really good show uh when it was on form yes oh yeah no season one was excellent mm. yeah i'm with john season one was excellent yeah. uh, i kind of I'm not, I'm not gonna lie i kind of kind of snoozed out after i think it was like midway of season two right I think as well, losing the showrunner mm-hmm. again Brian uh, Fuller. with yeah. Brian Fuller, who don't know what it is. I really love his stuff, yeah. um, but then doesn't seem to, dare I say it, follow through to the end, whether it's creative differences, personal yeah. differences. Um, it's just, it's a real shame because I love his aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I love his style. I love how he's adapted. Like with Hannibal, oh yeah, um, like with American Gods mm-hmm. and then, Star Trek Discovery, yeah. yeah. Yep. So it, it's yeah, it's a strange one, but uh, yeah, season one was just absolutely excellent. Yeah. Would you say that Brian Fuller doesn't live up to his fullest potential? <laughs> I guess that is one way you could say it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for placating me. There you go. Excellent, excellent. But go check out American Gods. All episodes are available on Prime Video. So watch uh, four seasons. There's a lot, there's some lush stuff in there. Go go check it out. Uh, worth worth a gander anyway. If you're looking for something after you finish Sandman, uh, this episode was directed by Andre Baez. Uh, he directs this on episode eight and previously directed episodes of Narcos and Narcos Mexico for Netflix. Great stuff. Mm. That 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 is a pedigree, but it was a strange one when I read it. I was like, interesting. Wasn't expecting that. Netflix directors tend to stay on board uh, for other yes. Netflix shows, as we've seen some from some of the other shows that we've covered. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Sandman Chapter Seven: The Doll's House? Sure. In 2015, Rose Walker and her brother Jed are separated when their parents divorce. Six years later, following the death of both parents. Rose attempts to locate Jed and claim legal guardianship, but Jed is instead placed in the foster home system. At the same time, Rose is flown to England, accompanied by her friend and neighbour, Lighter Hall, to meet Unity Kincaid, a wealthy recovered victim of sleep sickness who is interested in her ancestry. Unity reveals that she is Rose's biological great-grandmother and offers to fund Rose's search for Jed. Rose and Lighter travel to Florida to continue their search for Jed, where they are watched by Matthew the Raven, who reports his findings back to Lucian. But unknown to Rose, she is also of huge interest to Morpheus, the Corinthian and Desire, as she is a dream vortex, a being who naturally attracts and manipulates dreams. Desire conspires with her twin sister Despair to use Rose against Morpheus in another one of her plots against her sibling. Meanwhile, the Corinthian is hunting Rose for his own ends, as together he believes Rose and him can put Morpheus out of business for good. But the Corinthian is also being hunted by three collectors, who want him to be the guest of honour 
for a collector's convention. Aware of Rose's nature, and following a census of the Dreaming by Lucian, Morpheus plans to use her to track three errant residents of the Dreaming, Galt, the Corinthian, and Fiddler's Green, who are still at large. However, while Morpheus and Lucian are able to track Rose, they are unable to locate her brother Jed in either the Dreaming or the Waking World. Lucian and Morpheus deduce that the rogue dream Galt has severed Jed's consciousness from the Dreaming. As they discuss what should be done, Rose approaches Lucian and Morpheus in the Dreaming for assistance in finding her brother. Excellent, a brand new arc for the Sandman here. Yes, and as I kind of alluded to, as I straight out said, (laughs) this is one I've been waiting for Mm. um, because I enjoyed these. So should we dive straight into our spoiler-filled discussion? Um, if you're only joining us in Episode 7, welcome to Episode 7 of our coverage of this Sandman. But you know how it goes, ladies and gents and fellow dreamers. We get in, we talk, we discuss our top moments, and we're going to go through it from top to bottom and mm-hmm. ins and outs and lefts and rights. So should we just straight up, let's jump in and discuss... Desire and despair. Yes, definitely. Uh, two more of the endless. Uh, we met. We've met desire so far this season, but haven't yes. met despair before. Yeah. Um. I love this scene. I really love desire. Love how uh, they're being played in this show. Um. It's it's this really manipulative. I think one of our pieces of feedback said uh, compared uh, desire to Loki, uh, and I was kind of intrigued by that. But desire here is shown to be really manipulative and it seems to be even more plain than I remember reading yeah. it in the comic books. It's really clear that they're the one that's been involved since the beginning. They're the one that has caused all of Sandman's problems, all of Morpheus's problems from right back to Nada, whose story we don't know in full in the show yet, but Nada was the, uh, the woman that uh, Morpheus met when he went to hell. Um, and also involved in Roderick Burgess capture of uh, Morpheus back in the 1920s. So uh, very interesting that we have Desire here admitting to all of this and setting up another new scheme to try and trap her brother. <laughs> yeah, for me, this was, you're right. It, it, in the comic books, I don't remember it being as in your face. Mm-hmm. It was, I think it was alluded to and it yeah. was kind of like, it could have been Desire. They might have been the person doing it yeah. or, the, the, or the Endless doing it. There was other possibilities mm. because there are still other Endless we have not been or had not been, or at this point as well in the show and in the comic books, had not been introduced to. Yeah. You're like, oh, it could be them. And here they're just, I think they're jumping straight into the, no, here's one of your, like, one of your bad guys, so you know, know mm-hmm. who else is kind of, who is the grandmaster, who is the one pulling the strings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think I'm really okay with that because Mason Alexander Park is really, they are, really kind of playing this this version of desire to a point where I'm like, yeah, okay, you've, you've nailed what I remember, that essence of who that character was. 100%. And you're kind of just doing it in a in a way where I was like, cool, I, I, I'm happy to see more and more scenes with this this character and this yeah. actor. Yeah. Um, on top, we also then get to meet Despair, yes, which we is do. always a fun one. <laughs> yes, yes, Despair yeah. is really interesting. I like, yeah. I like her. I love this. Um, I actually want to see more of Desire. Um, yeah. I yeah. think there's not been enough of them on on the screen, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, really enjoy Desire. like that you get a, a little bit 
more insight into why she's been behind Nada and Burgess and wants to now involve Rose Walker as well um, because she's effectively pulling everything in the dream world in, including Morpheus. So he will be drawn to her as much as all the other dreams and nightmares. Yes. I might be taking it simplistically, but in effect, it's almost like, it, it's a power thing, but uh, based around jealousy. Yes. Um, it, with, you know, that, that they think that Dream is smug and ha- believes his own realm to be better than ours and love when uh, Desire says, but he must learn that dreams are echoes of Desire. So I, I love I how all these different parts of the endless, mm-hmm. like we, we, we saw how Morpheus escaped Lucifer and, and hell with the notion that dreams are what give hell its power. And mm-hmm. um, here we have, uh, desire saying that dreams really are echoes of, of desire. So I really like that, but I, I just actually want to see more. And I thought despair, I mean, apart from the wrinkles was just like, uh, granny clothes, um, yeah. just really good. And I thought it was just the touch of her using her hook sigil mm-hmm. just to sort of create uh, a big gash in her cheek as mm-hmm. well. I thought that was slightly sort of just disturbing because it just happened. She was, it was like her sort of, um, biting her nails or something. Mm-hmm. That's what despair does. It's yeah. just constantly, um, despairing, I yeah, guess. Exactly. Exactly. Really, really interesting to see, uh, these two characters on screen. Again, we will see them in the future, but, uh, but both of them are, uh, are the, the manipulators behind and are working yeah. together. And again, it's not just a name. They are the personifications of desire and despair. So that's why they are the driving force behind, uh, what's going on. So really good. Yep. Yeah. Yep, and we've met, just a recap, we have met Death, we have met now Desire and Despair, we've obviously met Dream, so there are other Endless beginning with the yep. answers on the back of the postcard, <laughs> if you've never seen the show and watched the comic books. Yeah. <laughs> Don't spoil it for other people, but like, there's definitely, I, I, I remember, Derek, you kind of coming up a long time ago about it's telling a story about how you were trying to figure out who the the wayward mm-hmm. um sibling was the prodigal yes yes, yes. and that's yeah. referenced again here it by is. despair thinking yes it's to do with the prodigal yeah not yeah. another as she says another machination of desire to somehow ensnare or play with with dream yeah i love how how excited um, despair gets for a second thinking oh we have real news about the prodigal and where they could possibly have gone and i uh just if you do pause for a second or for fans of the comics who know who the endless are you can see the sigils of each of the members of the endless that we will probably meet in the show except for the prodigal the prodigal's sigil the the symbol of what they are is missing um whereas if you look at all the rest of them they're really clear what they're representing i think Especially if you're a fan of a comic book, you can see which uh, which sigil is uh, is for which of the endless. So, and there's one I particularly love in there, which we'll hopefully see if we get a season two. Uh, you know what I mean, Chris, don't you? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I will plead the fifth. <laughs> no, that's the wrong show we're covering. The lawyer shows are on Thursdays. That's right. That's right. <laughs> She-Hulk. Marvel, yes. She-Hulk, Attorney at Law. Mm-hmm. Ah, right. No. So, 
yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing, and I'm hoping we maybe get some more. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we get one of the other analysts before at least the end of the season. I feel like this is it because I feel like this. Well, I know this storyline is the doll's house from now until episode 10. So I don't think we're going to meet any more of the endless. <laughs> okay. Well, then, this season. <laughs> this season. Well, maybe. Another reason why we have to get a season two. Exactly. <laughs> but let's move on to a quick kind of um, jaunt over to the realm of Dream because we do get the librarian and Dream himself kind of discussing what's next. Mm. And kind of like. Obviously, they're doing, we get this fantastic kind of quick scene with just the, the stained glass representing what they're talking about. And mm-hmm. um, we, we see that there have been or there is based on the audit by the librarian. Um, there are uh, three missing arcana, uh, from the dream. Mm-hmm. Three very important, um, members of the dreaming i suppose that are are gone missing here we we all already knew of course about the corinthian because we've been following corinthian since the beginning of the season we know uh corinthian has been gone but two more mentioned here uh galt and fiddler's green um yes um although a galt is a a nightmare yes it's another nightmare like the corinthian but Mm -hmm. fiddler's green i have no idea what words that Morpheus said or what they meant, but is a vavasor of his own dominion. Yes. And really shouldn't be playing away from home. Like uh it doesn't need to no. play away from home so, is kind of the point. Yes. Um yes, that's the one I'm most intrigued about mm. uh as well. It looked um, a bit like a landscape, didn't it? Or a yeah. park. <laughs> I, I a, did, golf, well, a, a golf course, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Or, or a green. Or a green, <laughs> yes. But I, I did like how it they got represented in the stained glass. Yeah. That was yeah. pretty cool. And of course, all coming on the back of Lucian conducting a census of the dreams and nightmares yeah. that have returned. Cause like the dream realm is looking pretty, uh, spick and span now. Yeah. So, and there's dream over 11,000 different filtered. entities there now yeah. as well. So we're, we're back. It's yeah. effectively only three entities that are missing, yeah. which was to be expected, but they're three quite powerful entities. But, you know, Dream has fluttered his eyelashes and everything is sort of spick yeah. and span, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was a month in between when he got all of his stuff back and then he met his sister and uh, obviously a little bit more time has passed here again uh, to the point that now I love that establishing shot where it comes into the, the castle of Dream, I guess, and the, the his central home and how beautiful it looks again now after seeing it back in episode four and five, um, the destruction that has happened to it. So, uh, So that's all back to full power. I did feel as though the bridge was different than was. before. Yeah. Um, so how yeah. the boats can actually travel under it, I don't know now. Because um, it didn't look like it had the hands to raise mm-hmm. up the, the bridge. But maybe they're submerged now. Maybe it's just still to be revealed. Well, the land of the dreaming changes often. It's not, oh, it's okay. not a static. It doesn't, it's not the static look. He does okay. change it up quite a bit. Um, so that, that's part of it, but kind of like the IKEA seasons. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. It's like if you had the ability to create anything out of your mind, would you create the same thing over and over again, or would you just mess about with it a little yeah, bit? Yeah, exactly. You know? Maybe he found that uh, that he could have a different mechanism other than massive hands lifting off the bridge. <laughs> Maybe that's they what were it is. cool. <laughs> they were massive awesome. hands are cool. Yeah, they were awesome. Do you want a mound today with your bookcase? Would you like a dory? <laughs> yeah, no. It's gonna. It, it's that was IKEA. On... I was wondering what the heck that was. Yes. <laughs> Malmus Forkadorka, a a, a 
Hertzbergerker. Right. Just, just a few, <laughs> the, I was going into the kitchen version it's of Close it, to the Swedish chef there, Krista. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> this is interesting because it does also lead us to the the vortex, mm-hmm. the, the 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 idea of a dreamer who is so powerful that they suck in all elements of the or of the dream mm-hmm. escape, including Lord Morpheus himself. Yeah, potentially, potentially. So this is fun. This is a this is where one of the bits. I really enjoyed about the whole aspect of the salmon and comic books was there was these little stories that were told years ago <coughs> or months ago uh, in the comic books that get threaded through mm-hmm. all the way to and you're reading and going oh my god this person's connected to this person ah exactly. yeah so here we do see and are introduced to a connecting character. Of Rose. Yes, Rose Walker, the dream vortex, as, as you mentioned. Uh, interestingly, I like, I kind of like how those points kind of connect together. Desire is the one that's saying, um, they're going to use this vortex to get Morpheus. So, uh, it's the most powerful thing. It'll take Morpheus down. And then you get to Morpheus. He finds out about the dream vortex and has been monitoring her. You see it right at the opening of the episode. He's been monitoring Rose Walker and he's going, ah, I can use her to guess those escaped arcana from the dreaming. I can use her to draw them to her and then I can, and then I can go and, uh, and pick them up effectively. So, uh, so he doesn't seem scared at all of the idea of that there's a new vortex, uh, in the world. Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's kind of, as soon as I was sort of watched this episode, it, you know, Rose Walker is almost a bit like the Scarlet Witch of the Sandman in <laughs> some respects. She's <laughs> this kind of nexus point of which, at least within the dream world. Yeah. Um, so I, she's really interesting because I, I love how, you know, this is totally unknown to her. And yet I love how through this episode, there are these series of moments where, you know, she's like dreaming that about the annulus and then receiving one from Unity Kincaid. Yes. Just that the final one where she's in the hall of the dream palace mm-hmm. with Lucien and Morpheus yeah. uh, talking about her brother. So, I like that, and I, I'm really intrigued, you know, that with her brother Jed, because he can't be found in the waking world or the dream world, mm-hmm. and this this disconnection from one of the Arcana um, gold Possibly, yeah. Yeah. Um, has severed that connection. Mm-hmm. I really, it, it's just. You know, it, it is this kind of like a yin and yang thing where he is also has some kind of power, but because he can't be seen, I, I don't know, or is it just a, a function of, um, the nightmare galt and, and so on? But, you know, is there any meaning to this? Because right. Rose is fully visible here mm-hmm. and has significant powers in this realm seems like uh, or potential consequences for this realm yeah and then jed is all but absent exactly yeah and and it seems like the reason why they went after jed is because she is the vortex so they've gone after her brother effectively so not that he has any specific power that we know of anyway we'll see a little bit more of him as the as the episodes go on but it seems they've gone after him almost to get to rose or 
because they're being pulled towards Rose, they've uh, picked up on Jet. That's uh, what it seems yeah. like. But again, that story is is to be told uh, in a future episode. Let's so let's talk quickly about uh, about Unity Kincaid here because kind of what you mentioned earlier on, Chris. This is one of the cool things about Sandman. Um, how something dropped in an early issue comes back and becomes massively important here with Unity Kincaid. We saw when uh, when Morpheus was kidnapped by uh, by Roderick Burgess in the first episode, we saw that hundreds of thousands of people uh, fell to an illness called encephalitis uh, lethargica, where they were asleep for many years and nobody could understand it, nobody explained it. A true disease, in fact, something that did actually happen in the 20s, uh, where people fell asleep and nobody knew what happened to them. Um, and Unity Kincaid is one of those people who's been asleep for the last 80 years or 100 years, excuse me, because that's uh, she only awoke when uh, Dream came back um, from uh, from his capture. So she's only been awake for eight months now, um, which is really interesting. So I love that little a little that's almost throwaway. It was it was just what are the consequences of removing Morpheus from the world? The consequences are you have people like Unity Kincaid who fell asleep on the 12th birthday and then. Don't wake up for a hundred years. Yeah, I mean, it, interestingly, I, I liked how Unity Kincaid said how she lived her life in in the dreams. Mm. Um, I guess it was slightly—I don't know whether it was meant to be—but it was almost that slightly disturbing notion that she became pregnant mm. um, whilst asleep. Um, you know. Um, so, kind of, you know, what's the hospital orderly been doing effectively? So they uh, brush over that. Well, exactly. They do a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They brushed over it, and I was expecting a quick sidebar or like some acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. But I suppose when you. You you then get into trigger warnings about rape and abuse and all that type of storyline and. Like maybe it comes up later, and maybe they do sort that piece out yeah. as a flashback. But yeah, that that was kind of like, uh, oh yes, I'm your granny. <laughs> yeah, I think it was even the reaction of Rose Walker and Light. I mean, it, it it was kind of the absence of any kind of reaction mm-hmm. about that. I mean, you know, so I I mean that I thought that was a little odd. But I, I like the notion, though, that there is this connection. Because, I mean, she and she does say, I had, I mean, I was then thinking, but because she said, you know, in my dream, I lived a full life. I had a baby when I woke up. The only thing that was actually um, real was that I had had a baby. So ha- having that daughter. So. Then I started to think, well, you know, we've got realms here. We're in the land of um, the endless with angels and so on. So is there some kind of immaculate conception element here as well with with not having read the comics? Mm -hmm. So like I was thinking, oh, maybe that's why or something. But nonetheless, you would still think there would be some form of reaction even if it was just kind of a knowing glance between rose and lisa when that was said right right rather than suddenly saying something to unity mm. i guess i suppose i have i i kind of take it that they they're not going to go into that because if you think about what's happened to unity herself she was 12 years old she had a family very rich very wealthy family yeah and then 100 years later she wakes up and 
realizes all the things that she's experienced were all a dream, nothing, none of that happened. Yet she's entitled to all this wealth that was built up by her family. She's very, yeah. very rich, but has no connection to anything at all. And is now, you know, I guess over a hundred here because she said, she said she was, she went into the sleep yeah. when she was 12. And uh, we know uh, Morpheus was captured for a hundred years. So I guess she's about 112, um, but, or plus eight months. Um, but she's spent the last eight months trying to find connection with family. And she, the, the conversation she has with, uh, Rose is, I didn't want to tell you on the phone because if you turned your back to me when you heard the story, I couldn't have taken that. So if she explained it in all its gory detail as somebody, um, had sex with me while I was asleep and that was, and you're the product of that union. Maybe she felt I would be driving Rose away. So she didn't explain it in that way. And sure. Rose didn't react because exactly as Lysa said on the flight over, Rose has just lost her mother. She can't find her brother. Her father's gone dead as well. well she's all exactly. alone in the world. And suddenly she's found this connection to her great grandmother thinking that she was all alone in the world. So I think that the reason why they avoid that is because that's the, that's the connection you're supposed to be really focusing on is is that there is Agreed. this family coming together for the first time. Agreed. And I mean, there is a lot going on with Rose Walker. As you say, it's not only that she's trying to find Jed, she's just lost her mom. Mm-hmm. Her father, her estranged father is also dead. Yeah. Um, she doesn't have a job. She's been invited over here. This bombshell, you know, strange things happening to her where she feels she's living her dreams, I guess, mm-hmm. to some extent. So... There's a huge amount going on here, and I think to introduce something like that, it's, as I say, I don't even think it needs to be explained, but it was even yeah. just some kind of, like, strange glance between Lighter and Rose, like, not to upset Unity, but mm-hmm. just between them, sort of, knowingly, or, or some kind of conversation once they were back in Florida about, you know, um, just something, because... Yeah. It did feel a little odd that something of that magnitude, even with everything else going on, um, did get brushed aside, I think. But that's that's just me. But I love the story of Unity Kincaid. I love that she is connected to, to Rose and her mother and to Jed as well. And I, I, I love how that as you say, because she has effectively missed her life, mm-hmm. but has these connections and is hugely wealthy with probably very little time to spend it because well, exactly. she's in a nursing yeah. home. Yeah. Um, that she is sort of trying to live all that real world time in, in a condensed period. So mm-hmm. I, I really yeah. like that. Um, just that notion of what she's doing because she's immensely wealthy and she ha- she knows she has family. I yep. like that she helps and offers to help Rose um, as well to find Jed, who is effectively her great-grandson as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just really, really good. Yeah. yeah, She's pretty spry as well for her. <laughs> yeah, she is. Yeah. Um, it'd be interesting to see. I think they may, they may address that, hopefully, kind of like that once, because they've been dreaming, they can, they haven't aged as much, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Well, in, I was wondering about that. I wonder if, yeah, because, because she was fast asleep. I know she didn't have the pouch of sand or anything around there, but whether mm-hmm. some kind of just regenerative yeah. nature of that 
Well, oh, sleep, the, it does help restore you. Well, that is true. <laughs> it does, but, uh, but unfortunately, a lot of people who had encephalitis lethargica did die after 20 or 30 years within, um, or, or less, 10, 10 or 12 years. Uh, not a, not a huge amount of cases where they, they lasted for 100 years. And in the comic book, slight difference because the comics were from 1989 and, uh, Dream was captured in, uh, in 1917. It's only 82 years, so a little bit more believable that a 10 year old yeah. would still be alive. So, we're not gonna, we're not gonna push it too hard. She was about 90 in the comic books. She's now 112, which is old for anybody. So, um, so we'll, we'll, we'll let them away with it because they have to tell that story, right? Yeah. So. Exactly. But that does lead to, um, that whole encounter does lead to Rose and Lita heading to Florida mm. to track down. Uh, her brother, and we do get um, the doll's house. The new cast. The, the, the B&B. Yes. I really like this set of characters. Um, I like how they're all introduced. Again, all straight from the comic books. I like how they're all introduced, but I love that opening with Hal because he's so welcoming to yeah. Rose. You feel like they're old friends. Yeah. And Rose has lived in the house before. He's kind of, he opens up his arms and says, welcome home to her. And they have a conversation as if they've known each other for years, even Lisa pointing it out going, when did you meet him? It's like, oh no, I just met him on the phone. Uh, I called him up and I booked the place and uh, she's moving into a new home. It doesn't feel like a and b And when you go around the cast of characters that are in this home, uh, that are in this be- bed and breakfast, they sound like they've all lived there for years. Yeah. Um, we have Barbie and Ken, the, uh, the, uh, hilariously named couple. They yeah. know it's weird, um, but they are there until they can find a place to live, until they can buy their own home together. We have the, uh, the, uh, spider hoarding or spider loving, um, siblings, lovers, mother and daughter, um, Zelda and, uh, and Chantal, who, uh, are so interesting. They look like something out of, uh, out of Beetlejuice. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're great. Um, but again, all very friendly, all really welcoming. It's oh, like yeah. it's like Hal has set up this place that you're part of the family once you come in. Well, as they say, one big odd happy family, yeah. which was, and I really, I loved all these characters just from their introduction. Um, so I'm really looking forward to kind of, I guess, finding more out about them or see how they weave into the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's Gilbert up in the attic as well. Yes, there is. Who's the bookworm? Um, and we see him later helping Rose, who's sort of being mugged in, in the alleyway mm-hmm. outside of where you get Hal's performance. So I, I loved all this. It was just yep. really, um, really very cool to me. I kind of got drawn to it and, um, I recognized Ken as well. I think he used to be in Coronation Street, Interesting. strangely enough. <laughs> Interesting. Um, and I, Anything that has Ken and Barbie in it has to be hilariously good. <laughs> Beyond Ken and Barbie, anything that has Stephen Fry in it has to be good. Oh, well, Gilbert absolutely. Himself, I'm like, yes, I'm here for it. Give me all of it. Absolutely, he's um, such a great actor. He's such a he, he's been in so many interesting roles over the years, from back in TV when he had his own comedy shows to Blackadder, and then uh, we were watching The Hobbit this weekend after watching Lord of the Rings: The Ring of Power, and he's quite a central character in The Hobbit as well. So interesting to see him in all these different roles uh, over the years. But um, he's just got such a friendly persona when he comes and speaks to Rose. But he also comes. Across Cross is really chivalrous. He's there to help, but only if she wants help. Um, so she has it handled. So, uh, so he just, um, shows off his sword from his cane. And then yes. that's enough to drive off the, uh, the muggers. <laughs> Complete aside, I do want a sword cane when I'm older. 
my, gra- gonna, my granddad I'm going to be that yeah. guy. I'm going <laughs> to have to be because I'm going to end up being having some form of walking stick because they just look cool. Mm-hmm. And then you just upgrade it to a cane. And then the only <laughs> way to upgrade it beyond that is to put a sword in it and just be that crazy old man. Like, I, th- I think I can pull it off. I think it, I, I'm not quite sure. If I, especially if I'm singing with a sword cane. If I'm singing crazy old man. <laughs> What's the laws around cane? that though? Yeah. I mean, is that a concealed weapon, which mm-hmm. must be illegal? Potentially, but if it's made out of like what? bamboo, mm-hmm. and then it's so just like, spank it's, it's just my wacky stick. No, no, not the like... sword. The cane is made out of bamboo. No, I know, the sword's I mean, metal. I know, but that's what's concealed. <laughs> yes. It's yes. not, it's not a sword with a cane in it. Yeah. It's a cane with a sword in it. <laughs> so, but, so that's what I mean. If, if Chris is going to have a length of bamboo to whip any attackers, <laughs> yeah, spanking. Spank them away. There you go. Yes. Anyway, back on to <laughs> one thing I did want to call, and I, I, I'm interested to see what if they stick. I don't know whether they're sticking with the comic books or not, but we do get told back that one of the missing Arcana uh, is Galt, and Galt is a shape changer. Mm-hmm. So we do know that um, poor little Rose is a vortex and dr- pulls all of the dreaming folk to her. So I'm like, now my radar is kind of going, who's going to be the, the, the one and only, um, Galt. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be fun to see how that kind of, how that expands because we do get the fates introduced again, mm-hmm. straight away. Um, and they do then pull in the discussion, which allows then Rose to take that first, Discussion directly to the man himself. Yeah, it, it's an interesting one with the fates here, isn't it? Because the last time we saw them, um, effectively they were uh, brought in to the women that John had killed all came to life and told him about his future. Yes. Um, and then before that, Morpheus went and visit, visited them because he had specific questions. But I believe even John actually called out to the fates to ask for his future and that's why they were called there. Whereas here, it is just after uh, Rose finds out that Unity is her great-grandmother and the fates arrive to... <laughs> I, I do love them again, of course, because they have that duplicitousness of their of their way of talking where they're there to warn her, but only if she asks the right questions. They're there to give her help finding her brother, but she didn't ask the right questions. Yeah. So, so they're there to tell her that they know everything and then disappear um, but basically. i mean they do like they do caution her against so that they say mm-hmm. against dreams and houses yes and name called the corinthian and morpheus yes as a mm. caution to it so yeah. i thought that was really interesting the corinthian i can understand but mm-hmm. maybe even morpheus's plans to effectively use her without Telling her yeah. to pull in the, well, the Corinthian, but also the other missing Arcana. And um, that's, that's the caution that you'll be used by, by mm. him. So I, I thought that was really, um, kind of quite neat. And I yeah. also just like the whole setup where she ends up being in a, in a, a, a utility cupboard. <laughs> And Lysa going, what are you doing? And yeah. just putting it down to the jet lag. I just like that kind of end to it, how mm-hmm. it, you know, it was just nicely done. Yeah. Um, it's very cool. I think the other thing I really liked as well, mm. it, as I was saying, 
you know, so that Morpheus and Lucian know what sh- what Rose Walker is doing in the real world, in the waking world, and um, that they send Matthew. So it was great getting Matthew back as mm-hmm. well in this episode. But I absolutely adored how he tra- moved from the dream world into the um, the waking world by going through the sort of fresco painting That's on the ceiling. It's just really, it. really nicely yeah. done. It's it just like kind of turns 3D as he, as he flies through the clouds. Yeah, yeah absolutely beautiful. Um, and also getting some uh, some help from uh, from Merv Pumpkinhead. Yes. Um, yeah, we finally get to meet Merv Pumpkinhead in the show, uh, voiced by the wonderful Mark Hamill uh, from Star Wars, or from or the Joker from uh, the Batman animated series and most uh, animated uh, Batman shows, but loads of other things as well. But uh, but really good to have Merv Pumpkinhead in there. Like I may have so also, <laughs> yeah, no, it was really good. But also, I may have just been reading or thinking too much about it, but mm-hmm. it was just the notion of saying, you know. With Matthew going to effectively spy on Rose in the real world, looking mm-hmm. for shock or trauma that, as Lucien says, could kill us all. Yeah. Um, I like that there's a real point that he, Matthew should report to Lucien first and not effectively to Morpheus. And yes. I just, I didn't quite know whether that was more significant mm. than how it was delivered in there. You know, it's just hidden in there. Yeah. Um, but I thought that was kind of an interesting point. Yeah. So effectively, Morpheus knows that, that Matthew's going. He chose him to go because he can't see Rose when Rose isn't dreaming. But he's aware of it. But Lucian's not happy with the idea that he's going to use Rose to bring uh, all of these arcana possibly putting her at risk effectively so that's why yeah. there's that discussion between merv and lucienne that they kind of don't like morpheus's choice here so if there's reports that yeah. come back from uh from matthew first to lucienne then maybe she can do something about it and she can be in control of it now that was proposed by merv it wasn't proposed by lucienne so no. uh, it wasn't her decision to do that but she is kind of going, okay, maybe I can use this if I get yes. the right information at the right time. Um, I can make sure that Lord Morpheus's plan, uh, goes smoothly, let's say. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I'd say. Um, just remember one of those cautions from the face is cautions on houses. She's just moved into a new house with loads of new people, but there's also the doll house itself, the name of the episode, yes. uh, connected to Unity Kincaid. So is she warning? Are the fates warning her about unity and her past or her connection? Or are they warning her about all the people that are going to be in this house that she's gone to go to? Yes. Given, as Chris mentioned, Galt being a shapeshifter, Uh maybe uh, one of them is a shapeshifter. Maybe. Um, Maybe it's the house. It may be. (laughs) With the dream, there is many... Different weird things. Many, yes. many possibilities. Um, yeah. We've kind of already mentioned uh, Rose coming in at the end to to uh, who's overhearing the whole conversation between Morpheus and Lucien. We haven't seen a, a human do that at all in the series so far. So uh, Rose having that connection to be able to actually just walk in. And she was hearing those conversations earlier on as well when she fell asleep. So that's part of her vortex abilities, let's say. Uh, anything else to add about Rose herself before we go on to the last couple of points? No, not really. Uh, nothing but specifically, I think, um, with, with Rose, it's just, that was where I was like, oh, I want to move on to the, the next episode mm-hmm. because I want to see how this meeting goes down. Yes. Um, you know, to what extent has Morpheus kind of connected or feels like he should connect with, with humans, mm. um, given 
what we saw in episode six and the advice from his sister. Yeah. Because, you know, at least around, you know, episode one or two, he would probably have done something to just send her back. Mm-hmm. Um, Potentially. So yeah. that I'm just really intrigued about, really, mm-hmm. yeah. um, to see how that follows on. But it was a great kind of um, ending to the episode, um, you know, or one of them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, of course, the other ending being we see Jed running away from his foster home Mm -hmm. and, you know, being at at this stage far down the road and an auntie looking to help him. But um, his Uncle Barnaby looks like a bit of a tool, really. (laughs) Um, And it's kind of, I mean, you wonder what his father was like because, you know, they foster him uh following his death but mm-hmm. this sounds just what was it as he goes to get in the car when you know he's been rumbled he's been caught by uncle barnaby as he's trying to escape from their house he goes to get in the front seat and he goes no you're riding in the back mm-hmm. and opens the boot so yes um this seems pretty and takes out his shotgun yeah that, which this seems, seems pretty horrific for for poor old Poor old Jed, to mm-hmm. be honest. Um, is it just that Uncle Barnaby is pretty horrific? Is this Uncle Barnaby actually Galt, maybe, given mm. they were the last person... Oh, sorry, they, that was the last dream uh, or nightmare in, in Jed's case uh, yes. yeah. to be recorded by Lucian and Morpheus mm-hmm. uh, and uh, that caused the, the, the severance... Uh, of Jed's connection to the dream world. Mm. So you just wonder because it, it, it like, it's pretty hor- horrendous for poor old Jed, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, in fact, the whole episode starts pretty horrifically and ends horrifically for Jed, effectively being separated from his sister, who, mm-hmm. you know, he loves, doesn't want to be separated from, but yeah. because of the divorce of the parents and then, effectively being put in the boot of his uncle uh, Barnaby's car yeah. Yeah. um which is weird because it's definitely the 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 car that the woman that picks him up and seemingly is going to take him to safety does call auntie you know she does seem genuinely afraid of uncle Barnaby yeah and but I'm not even sure whether they live together like again it's such a short scene it's as if Aunt and uncle have split and and Jed's trying to convince her to get away. But again, he does say we can go anywhere. We can get away from Barnaby. So uh, probably um, she was out looking for him and found him as well. But uh, unfortunately, um, Barnaby found him, found him and stuck him in the, in the trunk of the car. Yeah. Um, It's good to see. I want to see what happens for the rest of the season, because when we meet Jed in the comic books, it is, in a much more difficult situation, let's say. It's, it's pretty brutal, actually, uh, yeah. where we see Jed um, for the first time because the investigation as to where he is, you don't actually see much of Jed. You just see a couple of images that are in uh, the mind of, of Rose and her memories of Jed, and then we meet Jed, and what's happened to him is all revealed quite quickly uh, in the comic book. So this kind of cliffhanger here of his uncle being his possible uncle um who was they do actually call it out don't they that it's a family member of his father yes um, yeah. so they that's why the foster care system think he's okay is because uh they've been collecting the money every month 
and it's a family member of the father's so therefore he must be grand he must be fine yeah. um but it turns out that he's in uh, a pretty uh horrible situation <laughs> absolutely yeah what great due diligence from the yeah. American social services. Well, they've been collecting the money. You must be fine. Yeah. Oh, Andy was a relative, <laughs> so that's that's fine. But even though Rose is a blood relative, a sister, um, she's not even allowed to see him or find out where he is. <laughs> yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Bureaucracy, um, you gotta love it. Absolutely. Well, it's not even that. It's lack of. Because all yes. they're saying is they collected the check. Mm-hmm. Tick. He's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but we'll see more. Uh, we'll see more of of Jed in the future, and and uh, it's it's yeah, interesting story. Let's see. Yeah, no, I, I'm really intrigued by it. Actually, mm. one of the characters we really need to talk about here is uh, is Corinthian, um, who is on the trail of Rose uh, as well. As you mentioned, the vortex pulling all of these uh, people towards them. So, um, so uh, I I love that he goes to uh, goes to Rose's apartment uh, to offer her a job um, working for him. <laughs> yeah, so uh, does Carl. Uh, I Carl, think. I think, got a job there too. Yeah, um, for a little Carl while. Carl quite enjoyed uh, um, the Corinthian uh-huh. <laughs> turning up as well. Uh, although a very lucky guy, um, mm-hmm. you know, very lucky yeah. not to have his his soft, gooey eyes uh, whipped out there. Mm-hmm. You're right, though. Carl is really lucky. He even asks Corinthia to stay for longer. And uh, because he has this message, he leaves pretty quickly. I wonder if um, he may have left his calling card with an eyeless Carl uh, in the in the house. Um, but then again, he does need to get in contact with Rose. So Carl's the one that's saying that he can get in contact with her. Yeah, well, uh, that's but, the but would you do that? I know Corinthian's an attractive guy. Or Boyd, at least Boyd Holbrook is a very attractive man who's... Uh, who's come to <laughs> Carl's door and he seems to be taking the very definition of house sitting because he looks like he hasn't left from when Rose went <laughs> yeah. to the UK. But he goes, oh, she's gone for a week. You could come in and wait if you want to. For a I week, a guy you've just met at the door? Uh, I, I <laughs> guess he was thinking that he would have a week of fun with mm-hmm. the Corinthian. Um, but I, I guess that would have... Uh, sort of ended in total horror for him mm. uh to be honest oh. yeah no i thought that was a little uh little odd and i think he's a very lucky boy he is he is <laughs> but i liked how the corinthian you know in order to not to raise any suspicions and i guess that's the other reason why he didn't take um as you say the eyes out of carl and mm. um, was just saying how you know he used to be in business with someone, broke away, and now he's looking yeah. for a partner because he believes that with um, Rose that he can put um, his former uh, his his former boss out of business. Yes. And I just thought, yeah, it's kind of a nice way of saying it's it. Well worded. And then yeah. um, sort of back to just then the the collector's side. Of yes, it. let's talk about them. Um, <laughs> just, I mean. I don't know, does it make me sick? But I really, really enjoyed the notion that in this dark underworld, um, even uh, serial killers are trying to organise conventions yeah, exactly. or something, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's just that, you know, in, when the letter doesn't work, it's kind of, well, we need to do a copycat killing. Mm. And in the end, despite all three of them saying, well, we could annoy uh, the Corinthian... Mm-hmm. It's a bad All idea. three of them yeah. do it in yeah. order to get his attention, which they ultimately do. So, um, again, I guess uh, another 
another pretty boy is taken out as well. Uh, the the waiter, uh, alas, is uh, is not as quite as lucky as Carl. But I love how brutal it is and how fast it is. Um, like and how matter of fact it is as yeah. well. From the lady, wasn't it? I don't think it gives away much to give their actual names. Um, they are slightly connected to what they do, but, uh, but the good doctor is, uh, is the lady, um, who's kind of leading the conversation and leads the charge. Uh, she literally recommends that they do a copycat kid- killing. Um, Nimrod and Funland are the two other, uh, characters ah, okay. at the table. I didn't get their um, names. Yeah. They're, they're just, they were just in the credits at the end of this episode. You'll get their proper names, uh, later on in the, in the series, but, um, but, the good doctor literally just stands up and walks to the bathroom and takes the guy's eyes and then they just yeah. walk out. You know, it's it's so brutal, so cruel, but they're all serial killers. So they're probably used to having uh, these kind of situations. So uh, it's a very interesting uh, story and definitely one of my favorite bits of the comic book are these, yeah. uh, this idea of the, uh, of the uh, convention. convention. Yeah. yeah. Like that's the fun part. It's mm-hmm. that uh, everyone needs a friend. Everyone has a hobby, and, yeah. but Serial killers hobby. <laughs> they want to come together. Same way Dragon Con just ended. You have New York Comic Con, San Diego Comic Con, and yeah. then you have the Collector Con. But you can't um, have a convention to meet up with each other unless you have your keynote speaker. And that exactly. has to be someone yes, as big I, as the Corinthian. Exactly. Yeah. I think the other thing with that, when the Corinthian arrives, I, I just loved how... Um, intimidating he was oh, yeah. to them you know they they knew it was a risk and in fact one of them was you know we can't do copycat because that's we've got a code that's an idea uh, yeah and in the end all three of them do it but I, I love how the corinthian is so intimidating um t- towards them but then when they explain why they did it i his little line of Ooh, like-minded collectors with the same dreams. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost like he's building, you know, a Death Star of similar dreamers <laughs> in order to be able to take out Morpheus and, and you know, to build that critical mass mm-hmm. of of the same dream and those connections, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, which I thought was, uh, again, I just really liked that kind of concept uh, of corinthian using them ultimately well, i guess yes. and being able to somehow bring uh or rose walker in into this to harness it in some way that's I guess. going to be his special guest yes yes, yes. Hopefully they're better shots than stormtroopers because they were terrible <laughs> in the desert. Yeah. They, they have not. They have not hit the target. Maybe it'll take in a, nine films. Yeah. Or maybe all of them will take as long to warm up as the Death Star before it fires <laughs> its single shot. Maybe. maybe. Um, uh, and did you notice a little touch in here that uh, Corinthian has actually achieved his purpose? Um, if you remember back to basically the first moment of the first episode, Corinthian had gone to Earth, had escaped, um, had escaped the dreaming to inspire other people to become serial killers, to develop his reputation and scare people in the real world, not just in nightmares, not just in dreams. And you hear a moment there with, uh, with the three other killers at the table saying, this convention is full of serial killers, all inspired by you. Um, because he's been around for 120 years, everybody there has learned of the myth of the Corinthian. They think there's possibly three or four different people yeah. who've used it over the over the century. But 
they have all been inspired to be serial killers because of him, which I think is really interesting. Whether she was just but- buttering him up or making, make, uh, giving him a compliment uh, to get him on side or not, I like the idea that Corinthian may have been the first serial killer on the planet because he's an escape nightmare and everybody else who has become a serial killer has become it because of him, uh, which is, I, th- I thought it was an interesting idea. Yeah, that's not something I actually kind of thought of. So I think that's a really sort of good observation of what's mm. happened here. Um, and I guess with Rose Walker, with a mass of fellow collectors, mm. then he has more power um, to to be able to sort of unleash on Morpheus in some way. Yeah. It's going to be, for me, the kind of interesting thread of how they, or if they land the Corinthian. And mm-hmm. his storyline, because he is being set up as a big bad, but a big bad who actually has an unknown master, because we do know desire and despair, theoretically desire, are, is pulling the strings to, to a degree. Um, in, in the downfall of her brother. Yeah. Not specifically to do with Corinthian, though. Not specifically to Corinthian, but the Corinthian is essentially the, a bullet in a gun that is their machinations. Mm-hmm. Potentially, so yeah. potentially it's going to be what happens when the Corinthian finds out that his scheme, his plan to destroy Dream, mm. potentially isn't his own. Or to put it in the correct terminology, his desire to destroy Dream right. may not be his own desire. Yes. Uh, or may have been inspired by somebody else. Yes. Uh, yeah. It, it'll, it'll be interesting how it plays out. And, and yeah. again, this is our second big arc of the show. First big arc was, uh, was Sandman getting back his tools, then a break for, uh, for the, the moment where he discovers his connection with humans through, uh, the death storyline. And now we have this, the doll's house story, uh, to the end of the season till, till episode 10 anyway. And then we have the, uh, the two shorts that we'll be talking about. Uh, any notes about the episode? Anything else about the episode you guys want to talk about before we go on to some feedback? Nothing major for me. Very much just really want to dive into the next kind of couple of episodes yeah. because it's, I, as much as I used to love this format of one a week, when I know there's more uh-huh. and I know it's right oh, yeah. there, I'm like, oh, I just give it to take. Can we just, can we just like binge watch? <laughs> I, know, I know. Yes, you can. You can go ahead, binge watch no, all the episodes, no. and we'll come back and talk about uh, yes. about episode eight next time. Uh, I just wanted to uh, call out one uh, one major n- lovely touch again. Things coming back from earlier episodes. Um, there is a photo of Judy, who we saw in the diner in 24-7, uh, who died at the hands, let's say, of, of John D, who died because of John D. There's a photograph of her in Rose's apartment that the Corinthian stops and looks at. It's very clear. So uh, Judy, the character who had called Rose from the diner and is now missing, uh, there's a photograph of her in, in Rose's apartment. So just connecting those. So I'd mentioned back in that episode when we had the phone call with Rose Walker she would be an important character in the future. So uh, they've connected the two episodes together in that way, which I thought was quite quite a nice little touch. Yes. Excellent Good. stuff. Good catch. So then, what are your overall thoughts of Chapter 7, The Doll's House, Derek? I like this one. Um, it's a weird one. I've, I, this is the volume I think I've read most often, even though it's not my my favourite story within the series. Um because just purely because that was the first 
uh, bound volume that I got, I think, <laughs> was, was volume two of the of the story. So this story of the doll's house. So I've read this really, really often. There's lots of changes to it from, from the comic book, but this is the first issue. This is the opening of it. And I think what they're depending on Netflix is you've got the whole thing there to watch. Um, by episode six, you should be in on the characters and you should be in on the concept of what is here in the Sandman. And now we're going to tell you a new story with a whole raft of new people uh, being introduced here. There's like 10, 10 new characters, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, in this yeah. episode alone. And you're going to go on to the next episode. So the only kind of criticism I'd have would be as a standalone episode, it doesn't work as well as we've seen two standalone episodes back to back. But what could? Those two episodes were some of the best TV that we've seen separate to anything else that we've that we've uh, discussed so it would it's an impossible task to have every single episode be a five out of out of five or a 10 yeah. out of 10 this episode is a big setup episode for the rest of the series so it accomplishes its job really well but i wouldn't watch this episode on its own in the future i'd watch this and then the next episode and the next and the next um i'd probably watch it as a as a bundle uh, to get to the end of the series rather than just picking it out and watching it whereas something like episode six i've already watched more times than any of the other episodes so and we'll watch that again so uh, so we really liked it but it's a setup episode which has to happen when you're trying to tell a, a big long arc excellent john what did you think of this episode doll's house yeah i i really liked it um i, I would give it four collector conventions out of five i i think it, it's the same point that that derek's raised and i know didn't really mention it during our discussions but um given what it's followed in episodes six and five mm-hmm. um this almost seem you know it, it feels like it's not as good in a sense but that's because it's, it's got a different job to do yeah um because it's a whole new arc and i think yes you know as a pure standalone it introduces an awful lot so this is a lot of introduction again it's mm-hmm. like coming back to season one i mean in many respects a six episode season is a a, a usual bbc uh drama series run so you know in in that sense i I have no problem with almost starting again at the start of season two pretty much Mm -hmm. in that sense so i think um but it's just coming off the back of that it's yeah, you notice it. And I think then, because those last two and, you know, or last three are well into the stride of that storyline. Mm. So, whereas this is, is kicking off again, but I like the connections that it makes back. Uh, you know, whether it is through the, the photo of Judy, as you, you mentioned, uh, but also with Unity Kincaid mm-hmm. and, and, and seeing her begin her sleeping sickness back there in episode one or, mm-hmm. or two so um you know there are those threads through and having the corinthian here as well mm-hmm. uh you know it's it, it's connected for sure but it there's, there's a lot of new setup yeah. uh but i really like that i loved hal and his bed and breakfast with mm-hmm. all the residents there I want to get to know them more yeah and um, i'm really wanting to see rose walker and morpheus effectively chat in mm-hmm. his palace i want to see how that sort of meeting ha- takes place i want to dare i say it, get to the convention and see what happens there you know is there a 
strange things that happen. What do they sell? Is it sharpened tools for use? <laughs> uh, do they, is their sponsor a you know a local pie shop that you can put stuff into uh, to dispose of the bodies or crematoriums or whatever? So I'm really interested in that and. I want to see how this vortex starts to spiral. And I think primarily for me, I actually want to see uh, more of Desire. Um, I'm loving the character. And so far, they've only been on screen quite in small doses. I, I want to have a big dose of Desire. Excellent. Excellent. So, yeah, uh, four collector conventions out of five. Christoph. What did you think overall for Chapter 7, The Doll's House? I loved it. Um, but everything you both have mentioned rings 100% true. The reason I loved it is this could have been at the beginning of the season. It is a, it's, a, it's, a, it's essentially the act two of mm-hmm. the yeah. two-act play, um, with the encore being, now we know, episode 11. Um, so, again... Introduction of all the characters and a new intrigue playing on that you know who some of these characters are and mm. they're, what they are. Um, so I loved the original in the comic books more slightly different from what Derek was, where he said it was like your first collected volume. For me, it was just, I think I started and stopped and got up to this point a few times. Right. Remember, I had mentioned that I kind of. When I through the throughout my years trying to read it, I I always got to kind of around this area, and mm. then for whatever reason it fell off. When I kind of blasted through, it, it was this was still became one of my kind of favorite, just based on the wackiness and the weirdness, and very much collectors, mm-hmm. um, because I, I I'm so intrigued by the by the the thought. Of a collector convention, <laughs> if you will. You just love all types of conventions, Chris. <laughs> I do, I do, but not uh, post-COVID. It, it yeah. conventions for me, <laughs> but especially a collector convention, double mm-hmm. O-E. Um, so, look, absolutely love this. Uh, and it seems like some of our other fellow dreamers also enjoyed it because we've got feedback on Chapter 6 and chapter seven to go through. Mm-hmm. If you'd like to hear your thoughts on our podcast, make sure you head on over to tvpodcastindustries.com where you can record us a voicemail. Additionally, you can send us your thoughts to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can join us on our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash TV podcast industries. Mm-hmm. And you each and every post and every episode has a post and you can leave us your thoughts there and we will read them out on our recordings yes much like donald dennis who had this to say about chapter six this was an amazing episode and they combined two of my favorite early stories Mm -hmm. even though i was sort of looking forward to the goth death of the original novel i am super amazed with the actress they got to play death in the series she did a great job and i loved her portrayal Mm -hmm. yes she she just did a different version of goth death. 
that was it. That was <laughs> but she also had that joy about her. Kirby Hill Batiste yes. just really had that presence definitely. about her on screen that, that worked so well for death. Um, yeah, definitely. You know, really, really good. Excellent stuff, Donald. Thanks for that. Yeah, uh, thanks, Donald. Tina Brown says, as a huge fan of the comics, I admit that the day this dropped, I watched about 20 minutes of the first episode before I couldn't bear it anymore. I skipped to this episode because I had to see it realized. I had to see death throw bread, throw the bread at dream. I couldn't wait. One Easter egg I loved in the episode was in Harry's apartment, the room Dream wanders into, uh, I guess his bedroom, there is the framed photo of Harry with the other musicians, but next to it is a picture of Peter Pan with his flute. Famously, Peter said that to die would be an awfully big adventure. Love that touch. That's really fascinating. That's a great little Easter egg there, Tina. Yeah, I didn't excellent even notice stuff. that. Thank you. Yeah, good, yeah. good catch. Didn't notice that at all. Thanks, Tina. On to Chapter 7 feedback. Uh, Robert Williams sent an email in to us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Robert says, the plot thickens. Hello again, Derek, John, and Chris. Couple of thoughts. First, thanks again for the podcast, and I hope you guys are doing well over in Ireland. Why, thank you, mm-hmm. Robert. Um, well, I'm doing well, certainly. Well, me too, me too. Yeah, Lots of great TV to watch. And Chris, yeah. are you as well? I, I'm sure. <laughs> well I'm he's looking say, okay yes, robert yes. he's looking okay uh, over the the zoom he's looking okay lots of good tv and getting to chat with friends that's always yeah good, right? exactly yes, so uh, yeah thank you robert for for listening to us and uh asking about us second robert says it seems this season seems to be encompassing multiple story arcs in one season mm-hmm. similar to shows like the witcher mm-hmm. and this episode seems to be kicking off a whole new story arc I'm enjoying this storytelling, but in the comics, do these stories tie together at some point? Or, like The Witcher, is each arc meant to grow the main characters in the grand story of the main protagonist? Does this make sense? Hopefully so. (laughs) Last thought, the collectors. Does each realm have them? I'm sure you will discuss in the podcast, but curious about what they do for the comics and storyline. Thanks again, and cheers, Robert. Yeah, thanks, Robert. Um, I'm guessing that given that I haven't read the comics, yeah. but knowing comics quite well, I guess, is that this is a grand story of the main protagonist. Mm, kind of. Um, and they all link <laughs> into that, for sure. And there are threads that run through it. Mm. But I think you can also... You can also pop in and out of those different arcs as well. It's kind of like, I, I guess, it's like an event. K- kind of. I suppose one of the most interesting pieces that I heard um, about this uh, production and, and one of the things that's always been really challenging to bring Sandman to the screen is that everybody that has been trying to do all the failed versions of Sandman tried to make Morpheus the protagonist of the story. And this is a story about stories. This is a story that has Morpheus in the background, a lot of it. He is there, as we saw in this episode, he had about three minutes of screen time in the show called The Sandman. That kind of character, that kind of use of him continues throughout the show. We we don't see him all the time. It's not all about his story. It's about he how he's interacting with the world, of course, but most of the characters get their own arcs. The people that we meet, like Rose Walker here, is getting a four-episode arc in the TV show. She's now effectively the star of these next four episodes. I think that yeah. would be... That's a, that's a guess. Uh, not spoiling anything, I hope. But 
Um, but that's how Gaiman wrote his book. He built the premise, set up the stage, and now everybody plays on that stage that comes in and out of the comic book. So uh, part of the reason why it's massively expensive as a show is because there's about 100 people in the cast of this show all coming in for uh, for individual episodes and individual arcs as well. So, uh, yeah. so yes, it's a, it's a different type of comic book. Um, as we've always said, that's part of the reason why people love it so much is because it, you never know what you're going to get. You could be in the 1400s one week. You could be, uh, you could be, um, dealing with a house in Florida the next week. You could be, uh, could be all over the place. Different, different So what you're saying is my guess was completely wrong. Your guess was, was what you'd expect. Yes. I, I understand that. I understand <laughs> that at the moment we're only in, in the first season of the show, but, uh, but we will see more. You could have let me down more gently, Derek. Did I? Not do that. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sorry. Very much that the protagonist, there is no protagonist. The protagonist is the story, is the characters in the story. But mm. it's about how they interact with each other and the world of the dreaming and yeah. the endless. And But there is no singular, it's not even, it goes beyond being an ensemble, because I know ensemble, you can say, oh, well, that's what it, like, narratively would be. Yeah. Not even that. It's not like Friends. There was no singular protagonist in Friends, and it was the ensemble. It's beyond that. Mm. So, but there are some more protagonistic than others. <laughs> I guess. Yes. yes. Okay. Fine. And certainly, as we said before in this show, having Corinthian on one side as an antagonist and Morpheus on the other side as a protagonist, so far in the season, it does feel like they were going for the big bad versus the big good that's going to start to drop away a little bit more as this arc of the show goes on. Yeah, and, okay, Grant. And another uh, point that Robert mm-hmm. makes, and again, mm. I will have a stab at it, but you can uh, tell me I'm wrong. So it, it's, that, that's an interesting point that you've raised, Robert, about, you know, the collectors, does each realm have them? Mm. I'm, I think how, I, how, we've, how it's been discuss is that these collectors are in the waking world, in yes. the real world, yes. having been um, inspired by the Corinthians, so mm-hmm. they're not coming from other realms yeah. Uh, yeah. L- like the Corinthian in that yeah, sense. Yeah, they're just serial killers. Yes, they're they are. They're just the serial killers that name standard themselves serial killers. <laughs> collectors because they, they, you can't really kind of call yourself a serial killer. Yeah. Well, but you I, could, but you'd could, be found yeah. pretty quickly. But I you like... You found your next victim if you call yourself a serial killer in public, right? Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. But I like the idea that Robert's raised in mm. that does desire have all the desires, good and bad, floating around in, in their realm that mm. go off and are some kind of, you know, the desire not to have a, a boss. They go, well, I don't want to be with you, desire. Um, and off I go, causing mayhem and trouble. Mm. I mean, I, I'm just, you know, it, or is, is it just the uniqueness of the dream realm yeah. with all these huge array of, of different, um, dreams and nightmares within the realm? It so is. actually, Morpheus has a much more difficult job than, uh, Desire does because Desire can stay in her kind of swanky modern apartments, you know, uh, inside her own heart. Yeah. Of her statue. Whereas he's got to actually run a, a society of dreams and nightmares that want, are wanting to do their own thing. 
Um, I mean, he's even got Lucian, you know, a, a, a secretary in that sense, you know, a right. PA or whatever. <laughs> a librarian, Tom. No, yeah, exactly. But to manage all mm. the different things, whereas Desire seems like they just need a tablet. <laughs> well, Desire is Desire. And Despair is Despair. And Morpheus is the Lord of the Dreaming Realm. So they are very different as members of the Endless. So his part of his role is creating dreams and nightmares. That's part of his role. Whereas Desire wouldn't create a personification of a desire. They would inspire someone to desire something or inspire them to not desire something, I guess, would be uh, would be the way you'd, you'd say it. Yeah. But she says the echoes of dreams. So, I mean, I get... I Look, as I say, I just find that really interesting. Does Despair have something else it's not even just multiple different things but so i thought that's i i still think that's a really kind of interesting notion that, that it Robert is I, and i don't really want to talk about more about the collectors because that's something that you will see in the show um okay wh- wh- who they are and what they are we'll see more of in the show but right now uh serial killers excellent stuff thanks robert thanks uh, robert yeah Yep, thanks, Robert. Over on Facebook, Dr. Bob Phillips had this to say. Could they have been any different from the beauty of death and friendship to fan-run murder-ventions? Nice. (laughs) Quite sure I do not want to know more about Family Guy. Mm -hmm. To an explosion of quirky folks living their best lives, if you'd include dreamed life in that too. Mm -hmm. I did like the way the horrific origins of Rogue Grandma was skipped over. No Kill Bill here. And I love the idea of a house being sentient. Is Fiddler Green actually a landscape come to life? No comment. (laughs) Thanks, Dr. Bob. Very interesting theories. Uh, I think we all agree that, yes, this is completely two very different episodes going from six to seven. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, On your final question about... Uh, Fiddler's Green. John, what do you think? Yeah, I think that's uh, a great little theory that Fiddler's Green... Yeah, because the stained glass, um, yeah, it was kind of a landscape, as you say, uh, Dr. Bob. So I'm just wondering whether Hal's B&B with its tended lawns and, and so on, just that landscape of... Uh, around the B&B is somehow this um, vavasor, you know, it's of his own dominion, that there's, yeah. there's some kind of dominion of Hal's B&B. I don't know. Could be. It, you know, I just wondered, um, you know, that idea of then that house being sentient. Hmm. Yep. That or uh, Fiddler's Green is a golf course um, and actually <laughs> actually has is the, the actual... The spirit, the dream of a golfer. Uh, we will see. We will see. Excellent. Thanks for that, Bob. I have absolutely no comment on who Phyllis Green is or what Phyllis Green might be. We'll see that uh, in a later episode. Lara Willis Rinks says, after Dreams Day on the Job with Big Sister Death, we are on to the doll's house. I was curious to see how Desire and especially Despair would be depicted, and they both played excellently on the screen. Mason Alexander Park absolutely was Desire, voice and all. And a deity oversized sweater and Crocs maybe expresses <laughs> despair much more than a hunched and naked woman. I was a little disappointed that they let the cat out of the bag a bit early on the killer convention. It was much more fun to be stunned by the reveal of a serial convention that had nothing 
anything to do with frosted flakes. Ooh, interesting spoilers for uh, for what's coming up in the comic books there, but nothing too bad, I don't think. No, so I think we're okay with spoiler territory. Thanks, Lara. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, thanks, Lara. Um, so I'm going to have to read the comics now. Damn it. Oh, I've been trying to convince you for 15 years, John. You'll get, you will get there. <laughs> By the time we get to episode 11, you'll definitely want to read I the credit Lara for <laughs> getting hey. me to read the, the comics. I can't believe it, but that's fine. Lara's been inspiring people to read these comics for uh, for a long time, from from my understanding. Uh, I I absolutely love your point about, uh, about um, despair. And uh, her being having a daddy oversized sweater and Crocs being our new version of what uh, despair looks like on a person. Yeah, I'm just like, when did Crocs get so much hate? <laughs> I don't know. I missed. I missed that newsflash. I think I if guess. you wear them as your primary uh, primary <laughs> uh, shoes when you're sitting around on a couch uh, all day, maybe that's where they get the despair. It's like and it's valid, valid despair and hate. <laughs> If you're wearing Crocs, you you should be despised. Not at all. You wear you wear whatever you want to, especially if you're listening yeah. to our podcast. It's yes, like when but people... just not Crocs, not Crocs or fashion. Yeah, it's like no, when did people crocs. stop wearing jeans? <laughs> it's all uh, tracksuits. <laughs> oh well, yeah, when tracksuits became cheaper than jeans. Well, I guess. Anyway, thanks everybody for your feedback. Great to hear from you. I hope you're enjoying uh, following along with us on the Sandman. Uh, four more episodes to go. Looking forward to getting into episode eight next time. Yes, it's going to be good. If you've enjoyed what you heard, make sure you say subscribe to the podcast by heading on over to tvpodcastindustries.com and making sure you've clicked all the links. Don't forget, you can also support the podcast to help us build our dollhouse collection by heading on over to patreon.com slash tvpodcastindustries. And there you can support us for any monthly amount ongoing. But if you just want to give us a one-off donation to the dollhouse of our dreams, you can head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI. With that, gentlemen, it is time for us to go to the ethereal dreamscape that is Florida. And <laughs> we will be back next time for our discussion of the Sandman Chapter 8 playing house absolutely covering loads more stuff as well uh, at the moment we're covering uh, She-Hulk Attorney at Law over Mar- from Marvel on Disney Plus we're also have just started our podcast on Lord of the Rings The Rings of Power over on Prime Video uh, 24 million people watched those first two episodes in the first 24 hours they were out so lots and lots of people have watched them come join us for our chat uh, myself and John had a great chat about the uh, about the first two episodes yeah really enjoyed them but thanks for joining us hope you join us again soon yes thank you so much three very different shows we hope to, you will enjoy each and every single one and we'll speak to you again soon Bye. yes thank you so much fellow dreamers for joining us for the sandman chapter seven uh we'll catch you again next time uh but before then keep watching keep listening and keep dreaming bye bye